And I need to, to stress the fact that the therapist is, is there to, to help you understand the issues that you are going through and they will help guide you through getting through them. So yeah. that's what the therapist's job is. They are trained professionals. So as I am talking, the therapist is picking up on different things, which they pause and then they explain why this is so. And then yes. they would give you tips on how to uh, overcome that or just explaining to you where this comes from. You know, for instance, in my case, I remember one of the things that the therapist said to me was that, oh, you seem to have been in, a, a, to have grown up around a lot with having a lot of power around you. Yes. And I had never thought about my childhood like that until the therapist pointed that out. And the therapist obviously didn't know where I grew up or anything except from what I had said to the therapist. So in that sense, the therapist is trained to be able to pick up on these things and explain and further expand on them and yeah. highlight them to you. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to part two of the rape culture segment. In the first part, we discuss rape from a sexual assault victim's perspective. In this segment, we will further talk about the impact of rape on her life, how she sought help through therapy, and action steps that our community could take to curb the prevalence of rape cases in our community. I hope this episode helps someone going through a similar situation, and may we normalize having these discussions in our community. So a lot of people suffer from PTSD, which is a post-traumatic stress disorder, from tragic events, you know, that have happened in our past. And, you know, I was talking to a friend one time and he was telling me he's a trauma specialist. And he was like, you will be surprised at how much trauma we have all gone through in our own way growing up. But we didn't even know that we went through trauma. I mean, just the idea of boarding school. That's traumatizing. We've, all of us have, if you went to boarding school in Cameroon, for example, you have gone through trauma, you know, but, and, and those things affect us mentally in different ways. And we don't even know about it. We just carry it on and we try to find ways to deal with it until we can't anymore, you know. And I know you've mentioned a lot about the PTSD that, you know, you experience, you know, growing up, but I would only imagine, you know, the challenges that you faced with your husband, you know, and how he, 
he actually was there to support you me all and while also tolerating you because that's it's it's not easy i mean you i'm sure you came to that marriage with so much baggage and you both had to find a way you know to deal with that so can you elaborate more on that of course that was a major 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 issue in my life obviously when i started being intimate with my husband obviously we were dating at the time I realized that I was extremely uncomfortable with it. I mean, it wasn't even just that I realized it. I I just did not like it. It was very awkward. It was very uncomfortable. Um, But he was prepared and was open and happy to to do whatever it took to to, to make me comfortable, which was really, really admirable, you know? Um, So for instance, you know, an example is I always preferred the lights being off because I just did not like to have to physically see him mm-hmm. um another thing is i prefer to be fully clothed with long sleeves if yeah. possible so that there's no skin to skin contact because that was a trigger as well the, the the first thing i mentioned was a trigger so seeing a, a man physically naked mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. the trigger of mine because to me it just looked like my abuser and i would start having heart palpitations if i saw him yeah. um like that um so I, that's just mentioning a few of the things that I went through. Another yeah. thing was I um, had this thing called dissociation where, you know, your, your mind literally shuts down, takes you out of the room, takes yes. you out of, of the experience of what you're going through at that moment. Yeah. Went through that. Didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know it was an abnormal thing until much later when I received, I went to therapy at the age of 32. Then I realized, oh, that's actually an issue. I thought it was normal because that was how I always reacted to to sex. So uh, having my husband be very supportive and understanding and not judgmental was was very valuable for me, for my healing. Because I literally, as you said, I had lots of baggage. I and the baggage I did not even understand. So yes. there's nothing worse than having baggage and not being able to explain it to your spouse yes. and and then wanting them to understand you, whereas you don't understand the thing. So yeah. it was a lot, but I'm very, very grateful that I, step by step, I managed to progressively get the support that I needed. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I yeah. ended up working in a sexual health clinic where I was exposed to so much knowledge and so many real life patients who had been sexually abused and learning yeah. about their issues and then relating them to my own personal story and learning from that way. And I think that just being an avid learner helped me a lot because whenever I experienced something, be it a trigger or a, a reaction, which I felt like, oh, that's strange. I would literally go onto the internet and search to see what that was yeah. and is it related to my past. So um, that really helped me a lot, just trying to learn as much as I could about what I was experiencing and what I was going through and what I could do to, to help myself. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Thank you so much. And I will only imagine how many years you carried this baggage, right? And I mean, dealing with that kind of baggage from your childhood and then going through all the other circumstances, traumatizing circumstances that you may have experienced in your life all through your adulthood. I mean, it's very commendable in part because you actually were strong enough to carry that. But then again, you didn't have to. I know in your book, you said that you don't know anyone like you who has ever been to therapy. Right. And that statement is actually extremely accurate and highlights the need for therapy to be normalized in our community. So how did therapy impact your life? 
therapy was probably one of the most valuable, invaluable things that I, I, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it contributed massively to my healing because in therapy, well, my therapist was the first person I'd ever really spoken to and told everything, calling a speed, a speed, mm-hmm. what had happened to me. And um, I think I was able to do that, first of all, because I knew it was a professional. Mm-hmm. And secondly, because it was not a family member or a friend, someone yes. who cared about me per se, um, mm-hmm. or who knew me personally. So um, I was able to really just be vulnerable and um, speak. So mm-hmm. therapy was very good because, and I need to, to stress the fact that the therapist is, is there to, to help you understand the issues that you are going through and they will help guide you through getting through them. So yes. that's what the therapist's job is. They are trained professionals. So as I am talking, the therapist is picking up on different things, which they pause and then they explain why this is so. And then yes. they would give you tips on how to uh, overcome that or just explaining to you where this comes from. You know, for instance, in my case, I remember one of the things that the therapist said to me was that, oh, you seem to have been in a, a, to have grown up around a lot with having a lot of power around you. Yes. And I had never thought about my childhood like that until the therapist pointed that out. And the therapist obviously didn't know where I grew up or anything except from what I had said to the therapist. So in that sense, the therapist is trained to be able to pick up on these things and explain and further expantiate on them and yeah. highlight them to you and say, this is what you've explained. Yeah. And obviously it's a power imbalance situation. Yeah. And this yeah. is the reason why you're not able to stand up for yourself. That's the reason why, you know, when you're faced with this specific kind of situation, you are not able to speak out because you have been suppressed your whole life as a child. Yeah. And so that's what your mind is conditioned to do. And even though the adult part of you wants to speak up and be and be grown and speak out and yes. stand up for yourself, your the child the child part of you will not let you to. So you have to yes. learn how to do that. So the therapist was my therapist was very good in that sense. So and even in terms of going further teaching me more things or highlighting me more things about, you know, sexually about yeah. things that could be done to uh, reverse those sexual, I- those ideas I had about sex, you know, sex being negative and sex being yes. bad and evil and it's supposed to be a secret. So just reversing all that knowledge is yes. very, very good. So it's, I would highly recommend therapy. It's not just for crazy people or people yes. who, you know, are insane and need to be in a mental ins- institution, even though, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yes. the support that such people need. Um, yes. But I think in our community, people just think that, uh, and, and I, I felt that when I was writing my book, I said, if people back home hear that I'm going to therapy, they'll just think, wow, is she mad? Like, what yes, happened to yes. her? Mental issues, not- right? Right. And mental yeah. issues. And they'll look at look, look down on my family because yes. I am going to therapy. Mm-hmm. It's com- it's complete. It's not that it's such yes. a, a, an erroneous belief. It's not yes. that we, we get it so wrong. There's yes. so many benefits from going to therapy. therapy. So many yes. benefits. You just you're given a completely different perspective, perspective. on what you're going through. Exactly. It's a completely different perspective from someone who does not know you. And I have to point out that my therapist was a white male British. He's <laughs> British white male. Yes. And I came to find out later he has never been to the, 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 any country in Africa. Yes. He hasn't got African relatives. Yes. Um, so, but this guy helped me out of my situation. 
Yes. So yeah, just thought I'd drop that in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very important. I'm, I'm really glad that you highlighted that need because I, I felt like I, I, I went through the same thing. I actually have grown to appreciate the importance of therapy. I personally go to therapy. And when I started going to therapy, my parents, they're okay with therapy, but friends who heard about that, they were like, it's everything okay. Like they always think there has to be a problem. Right. But sometimes you just need that person, that third party to give you a different perspective, like you said. Mm -hmm. And like therapy actually kind of brings balance to me. You know, when I Mm -hmm. feel like I am going astray or when I feel like, why am I acting a certain way to a certain things and stuff like that, you know, a therapist will dig deep into my brain and give me that psychological aspect or psychological explanation about what may be going on. And then we both adopt, you know, different action steps, you know, and they, the, the therapist actually, you know, gives, tells me about things that I didn't know, you know, so that aspect of just having therapy consistently or at least just make it a habit of going to therapy is very very important and should be normalized in our our community and i know your therapy actually in your book uh cactus in the calabash the therapy actually brought up a few things like you mentioned one of them dissociation you have never ever known if you don't even know what dissociation was you wouldn't have been able to walk through that right so i mean self-exploration vaginismus which i think these are all topics that i would really like for us to have a subsequent episode where we discuss and educate the community about all of these things. But of course, this will not be a therapy session, you know, and I strongly advise the members of the community to seek therapy for such issues and just just for, you know, no issues, actually. Just seek therapy every now and then, and it's very beneficial. Now, apart from therapy, what other resources or people helped you in your healing? Like I mentioned earlier, I think just being um, innately an avid learner yeah. made it help because whenever, and I'm very, very self-aware, mm-hmm. and now I'm not sure if I was born like that or if becoming an introvert because of my rape made me become self-aware, heightened my self-awareness rather, but I'm quite self-aware. And um, so when I react a certain way to, to any experience or any incidents, any instance, mm-hmm. I usually wonder why I felt that way. I wonder yes, why I felt yes. that way. And if I can't make any rational sense out of it, I would literally go on blind to, to, to do research and yep. see what is going on, or what's this about. And I so I'm always searching for information and learning and reading self-help books and trying to figure things out. That's naturally how I am. So that yes. really, really helped me. Another thing was is just having the support of my my family uh, mm-hmm. my siblings especially they uh, one of my brothers is my youngest brother who was tortured with me he's mm-hmm. a medical doctor at the moment and he's mm-hmm. like the one of the, the best people to talk to mm-hmm. um he's a very good listener as he should be professionally <laughs> right um yes so i but my my siblings have been very uh their support has been priceless in that I went through times when I just needed to vent about my parents and how yeah. upset and angry and livid I am. And that all that was coming out more when I was going yeah. through therapy because mm. I was reliving everything um, daily. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I needed that outlet because I was so upset with them. I couldn't believe they'd done this and let me go through this. And no one is listening to me and no one is still talking to me about this. And, you know, so my siblings were there in that moment at those times to listen to me and to allow me uh, a safe space Mm -hmm. to vent 
So that was really helpful. So I would say that it's really, really important to have to have that, to have people who support you and are there to listen to you. So right. in addition to therapy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's very important. That's very true. And you had mentioned um there's something that was really, really important and it struck me when I was reading that book. Every page struck me, I must admit, you know, like every, I I mean, every single page I read just, you know, I I learned so much from your experience, you know, which was unfortunate, but I'm glad that you got to share it with us. So there was a powerful uh, phrase that you had in that book and it was just five words, but it's extremely powerful, especially when it has to do with how rape impacts the victims, you know, moving forward. So it was like the, it was not your fault statement, right? And you actually had mentioned that that phrase actually changed everything for you. You know, just that it was not your fault. So how did these words change your life? Yes. So those words definitely changed my life. I was 12 years old, I think. So I was in secondary school at the time. And up until that point, I had blamed myself for the whole experience. I blamed myself for being raped. I blamed myself for the times when my brothers were were maltreated and tortured. So I'd been carrying this guilt with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in a Catholic school and I'm raised Catholic. So we mm-hmm. do go to confessions. So um, we had a retreat organized by my, my secondary school, which is a Catholic school. And in that retreat, on one of the days, we would have a priest come into the school and mm-hmm. uh, offer confession sessions for anyone who wanted to confess. Mm-hmm. So I was really looking forward to it because I needed to confess my sin. So I went in for confession to confess my sins to a priest. And that was the only sin I wanted to confess because I just felt so guilty, which yeah. is a, a, a symptom of a, a, a rape victim. Rape victims. Yes, we you feel very guilty. So I went in to confess my sin, really. And um, mm. I did confess my sin. And I said to him, you know, we had a houseboy and he had been beating me and my brothers for from the time I was this age, that age. And um and that was it. And he also sexually abused me. Mm-hmm. And um, the priest held my hand and he told me it was it's, it was not your fault. And he just kept repeating it and repeating it was not your fault. And he kept looking at me in the eye, which was something which was very uncomfortable for me, first mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. making eye contact because yeah. of my, the child abuse. And he kept staring at me in the eye and repeating those words. It was not your fault. It was not your fault. And it it, it touched me and moved me so much because uh, as you have read in my book, there were different points at which um, I reported to someone. I said yes, something yeah. to someone. So not necessarily saying, oh, I'm being raped. No, but, you know, just the little signals. things. And signals. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And every time I reported, I felt like no one is doing anything about it. So yeah. whether they were actually doing something about it or not, it did not feel that way to me. Instead, whenever they confronted the houseboy about something that I had reported, the punishment towards me got worse. Worst, yes. So so as a child, you feel that nothing is being done Mm -hmm. and it's just getting worse every time I report the houseboy. So I'm going to stop saying anything. And so I stopped. But later on, when I reported, they blamed me. They blamed Mm -hmm. me for for not speaking up sooner. So I carry this guilt with me. And um, so when I told the priest and he said, it's not your fault, that was the first adult who had ever told me that it was not your fault. It Mm -hmm. made, I just, I believed him. Um, Mm -hmm. And that just highlights to me. And I wanted to highlight to to the listeners as well, that if someone comes to you and confides in you that they were raped, don't go 
investigate, trying to investigate the issue or what happened and what were they wearing or why did you go home with this person? Why didn't you this or that? You're not there to investigate anything. This person must have found it really hard to tell you that they were raped because there's a shame in it. So you could maybe not say anything, give them a hug if you can, but just listen. And if you need to say something, tell them it was not their fault. Tell them it was not their fault. Those five words would change their life. It would change their life moving forward. It's very, very important. Because it shows that you support them no matter what. And this is a safe space, no matter what. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you literally just answered my next question, which was what (laughs) advice will you give to the African community regarding how to approach the topic of rape and help rape victims? I mean, you literally just answered the question because we are always fond of blaming the victim first. We're fond of making assumptions, even if when we're wondering, like, what happened, trying to find closure, we start by finding closure in relation to the victim, like what were you, are you sure you weren't wearing this or you weren't, you know, exposing yourself or why did you put yourself in that situation, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just telling them that it wasn't their fault, that's basically maybe sometimes all what they need to know, you know, and also just consoling them, not trying to be judgmental, which is very, you know, expected in our African community or very common in our African community, just being judgmental. It's about time that we have that open mind. So actually, what suggestions do you have to make it safer for survivors to come forward? Ooh, so in our community, it's um, it's it's difficult because our community has been the way it is for years. Yes. Um. So, but I think that nowadays it's getting better. It's getting it's progressively better. So mm-hmm. people are becoming more aware mm-hmm. that rape is is actually not okay. Yeah. Um, because we've we we've had a long-standing culture of rape. It's a rape culture. So rape culture, it doesn't just mean that you say a, a guy is going out raping girls. No, it's just even as simple as, not simple, but anything, an example is a guy having sex, forcefully having sex with someone and coming over and bragging about it yes. to his friends and they just don't say anything or they all laugh and high-five each other. Mm-hmm. So Breaking the that form that the rape culture in that instance would be one of those guys standing up and saying, No, dude, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. And educating each other about the right thing to do. You know, Mm. teaching each other, teaching the young people, teaching younger people about boundaries, teaching young kids about boundaries, teaching our children, really, really young children, about their bodies and their, their private body parts and and um, teaching older kids so teenagers about healthy relationships because mm-hmm. this child abuse is preventable it is mm-hmm. preventable because most of the 93 percent of those who are raped are known to their rapists yes. their family members and friends or teachers and people who are in positions of guardian exactly yeah. you're in a position of guardianship with of, of the child and take advantage so if we're able to educate our kids from a young age then it's it's going to it, it lowers the chance of it happening because the child is empowered the child has the knowledge the child knows that these are my boundaries they, yes. this is, is wrong but if they don't know that it's wrong then they you can't do anything about it explicitly talking about consent is the most important thing yes Yes, yeah. that's very true. I mean, you spilled out so many gems in these discussions and um, there were a few experiences of yours that, you know, really highlighted the gaps and issues that we faced 
face in our communities and they still exist in our African communities. So I really want to highlight four of those lessons that I learned from your experience and also give my own recommendations and call to actions. And, you know, if you want to chime in, actually, I would greatly appreciate it because this is something that we really have to do everything possible we can to educate our community. So the first thing that struck me was you didn't even know about your period or your menses and pregnancy. You did not know about any of those um, to like you were actually, yeah, you know, almost in your adolescent to adulthood, you know, and uh, your first realization actually that sex was actually a good thing and learning about the anatomy and the female of your body and, you know, the female sexual anatomy basically was at 25 years old, you know, I mean, that shows the huge need for sex education. I can't even stress that, you know, to, to, to imagine that you spend the first 25 years of your life not even knowing who you are as a woman, I mean, that is extremely appalling, you know? And so um, there is actually, like I, I had mentioned, and I will mention that in many more episodes, I suppose, you know, there's a huge need for sexual education in our communities. And again, that notion that giving a child sex education means, you know, encouraging the child to have sex is extremely false. I mean, the earlier you give that child sex education, the better for them to know. And for you to also know that, you know, this is what my child knows and trust that your child will come back to you. It also gives that trust, you know, because your child trusts you that if you can actually tell them about things like that, they can tell you about things as rape or something that happens to them without feeling like they're judged, you know? So it's extremely very important. I don't know if you have to, you know, add anything to that. Yes, that last point you made, it's really important because if you are uncomfortable when you're speaking to a child about their private parts or about sex and healthy relationships or sex education in any form, mm-hmm. then the likelihood is that that child will also feel uncomfortable coming to tell you exactly. anything, when, if anything happens to them in relation to their body and sex, sex education. If you mm-hmm. tell them vaguely too, they too will, they, they feel the discomfort. Yes. So it's best to be straightforward with it and and frank and direct in telling in when you're teaching them about sex education. Yes, yes, that's very true. Yeah. And then the second point was that, you know, you had also mentioned that uh, just a, a few moments ago, you stated that, you know, you felt shut out when they blamed you for being stubborn. That's when you actually tried to report the houseboy when he was abusing you physically and sexually. And then when things got worse and then the family actually realized that he was raping you, which, you know, it was kind of funny because when your mom asked you if he raped you, you didn't even know what rape was. So he'd been raping you for almost four years and you didn't even know that it was rape, which is, I don't even, I mean, I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, again, highlights the need for sex education. But, you know, when they actually knew that he was raping you. They, some people blamed you for not speaking mm-hmm. up. So it's like you do, you're damned. You don't, you're damned. You know. So that actually just highlights the need for parents to listen. You know, our African parents actually have this, for lack of a better word, ego. You know, like they don't think that a child. I mean, like how we grew up. I, I, I'm sure things should, and or I hope things are changed now. You know, but growing up, I remember, you know, like in most household. I mean, sometimes when we know we did something wrong at home, but in most household, when the parent comes home, it's like the kids, everyone just runs to their room. Like there's no communication. There's no chemistry between the parent and the child. It's always an authoritarian system, right? But I think parents should 
come down to the level, humble themselves to the level of the children and listen and look past the message when a child is talking or signaling something to them. You know, open discussions in African homes should be the standard you know, should really be the standard. And if there are no open discussions, many events as such will not be discussed, you know. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that as well. No, that's a great point. And you've, you've said it explicitly. So it's it's as clear as, as it can be. Yeah. And yeah. also another point that I have was about, you know, the importance of therapy, because in addition to the fact that you did not even have anybody to talk to, you know, you did not even feel like you had to talk to a therapist, you know, from your the very first time you actually wanted to talk to the therapist, you thought it was a waste of your time, you know? And so uh, that we, we actually grew up in a culture of having to fix things on our own. It's like, oh, I can handle this. I can handle this. But we don't really understand the intensity of what we are carrying, of the baggage that we are carrying, you know? And so we have to normalize seeking help, you know, and surrendering. It doesn't mean you're weak. It actually means you're strong. Vulnerability is strength. For you to go to a stranger and open up and be more vulnerable, that's actually showing how strong you are because number one, you're open to change and it takes someone with strength to really open up to someone that they don't even know, you know? So, you know, we have to normalize seeking that help and especially professional help. There's a difference between seeking help from someone that's not a professional because sometimes the people you trust will end up betraying you, you know? So you have to choose wisely. So I'd rather you seek professional help on the things we know that we cannot fix, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if you wanted to also add something to that. No, just just to to re-stress the fact that these therapists are professionals. They're trained professionals. So it's not like they're not there just to be nosy or, you know, just wanting to know your business. They are trained professionals. Mm -hmm. It's just in the same way as, you know, you have a a pain in your stomach and you go to see a doctor. It's the same way. It's the same thing. You go see a trained professional. So they are specialists in their field and that's what they're there for, to help you, to help guide you or give you guidance to Mm. be able to resolve those day-to-day issues. Yes. And then the last point that I wanted to make was that in your book, actually George was released from the police custody, like shortly after he was taken into custody. And this actually is a big issue with our African law enforcement system, right? There are a few good officers out there, but most people actually work for themselves or their pockets rather than the people that, you know, they're supposed to work for, which is the people of the community. So our law enforcement system actually needs to do better. You know, most rape cases are usually swept under the rug, just the same way, you know, rape victims trying to come out are swept under the rug, you know, and they're usually swept under the rug because of money and status or lack thereof, you know, like in this case, you know, maybe the rapist is either a wealthy person or of high status that he or she can just pay off the system to conceal any details and live their lives, you know, without any repercussions, you know, while, I mean, in some cases, the victim who may not actually have money, you know, or being or any kind of status remains without justice, you know? So I just feel like we definitely need to do better. And I just wanted to make one point. Rape does not only have to do with women. Mm. Men are actually raped as well. And honestly, it will be my greatest dream, my greatest prayer answered if I could find a man who has been raped, who has gone through, who was a rape victim, actually, who is vulnerable enough to step up and talk to me, you know, because I mean, 
rape against women that's what we you know we have is a very common topic in our community but we tend to not highlight the fact that men actually are raped as well i mean i have a special kind of sympathy for Mm -hmm. any rape victim you know that has gone through that traumatic experience but for men it doesn't only mess up their mental i mean it also messes up their their sexuality you know a lot of men you know have messed up sexualities or confused they they don't even know what they want because they were raped as children you know so um, i really hope that i could find someone but i just wanted to make that clear that raping rape victims are not only women they are actually men you know so um my final thoughts on this is that you know parents parents have to be very very mindful about who they let their kids around and who you know, their kids hang around. And also, you know, what really struck me was that you spent more time with the houseboy than with your parents. Yeah, I could say your parents actually were working and stuff. But when they came home, it was their, it was their and every other African parents because that doesn't happen in the African dynamic. It wasn't only your parents, you know, like parents have to bond with their children when they come back from work, you know, not only like watching TV or just doing their own thing, like talk to your child, have that bonding experience with your child, you know? And I mean, I feel like we have to be more mindful about these things, mindful about who we put, keep our children with, you know, always trying to listen to our children and let them know that we are a safe space, you know, for them to come and talk to us. So I don't know if you have any last words or final thoughts for the audience. Yes, of course. So I think just to um, piggyback off what you've said, it's uh, very important to pay attention to our kids, pay attention to any child who um, may not be your biological child, but uh, who you might be in a position of guardianship for. Um, It's very important. So I went through every single type of uh, child abuse that is out there. So Mm -hmm. physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, psychological abuse, Mm -hmm. and and neglect. Mm -hmm. So mostly, you know, some people think that if your child is not being physically abused, yeah, they're fine, you know, but I was neglected despite the fact that, you know, my, both my parents worked, they were working class people. Um, and so you wouldn't think you wouldn't associate my situation with a neglectful situation, but it was because there was no parental monitoring at all yes. uh, whatsoever. They literally hired this person to look after the house, look after the children, and uh, that was it. They they yeah. didn't come back to 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 monitor him to see how it's going and to yes. ask us how it's going, how things are, and mm-hmm. th- this has to be done on a day to day basis. Otherwise, you miss out on things and or you miss things rather. And also the grooming, I just needed to, to highlight that the grooming phase, the grooming stage, mm-hmm. it can take months and years. Yes. So if you're able to step in as a, a parent or a guardian to yes. check on what is going on with this child, to check on the conversations that are going on between the child and the adults who are around them regularly, yes. you will be able to intercept rape or sexual abuse if it were going to happen you yes. can stop it you can prevent it from happening because the yes. grooming yes my grooming took quite it was quite fast actually it took a few just a few months mm-hmm. two months maybe three months mm-hmm. um to, to, to happen but if someone had noticed anything or spoken to me mm-hmm. at that early stage i would have opened up to them and yes. then it would have been it would have been prevented totally yes. So yes. it's very important to speak to our kids, listen to them, listen to what a child is saying. Don't assume that, oh, this child has become quiet suddenly. Oh, don't worry about it. They're just growing up. They're, it's it's uh, pre-teenagers. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, assume, don't make those assumptions because the child might be going through something as hellish as this. 
mm-hmm. and no one would be able to pick up on it. Right, right. That's mm-hmm. very true. So how can our audience reach you? So basically, I am on all social media um, outlets, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter. You can find me there, Mani Anabor. Yes. Um, I am quite active on social media, so I would literally see a message within minutes and respond. And um, that's how most people reach me uh, regarding my book, my story, uh, my work. I work as a domestic violence advisor, as you mentioned, for UK-based organizations. Yes, I'm easily reached in that way through mm-hmm. social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for this discussion. It was so nice. And I just want to call on our listeners one last time to just be nice to one another because you never know someone's story. You don't know what they have gone through. I mean, I know talking to you before we had this interview, you had mentioned, you know, like most of your friends were very devastated when they realized what you went through. And also some even had the bonus to step up and also confide in you about their own abuse, abuse experiences, you know. And so everybody has that even in their past that they never want to relieve. So we should just be nice to each other and, you know, just be patient and more tolerant of each other's experiences and stories. You know, with that, we are definitely going to, you know, live more happy, live happier lives and help one another and prevent certain events as such, you know. So we have actually come to the end of this podcast. And oh, my goodness, it was super, super, super interesting. And it was a very needed topic in our community. I hope that our audiences or our audience will have been impacted the way I have been impacted in this conversation and all thanks to you. Thank you so much. I also hope that this discussion does not end here and that we all can actually have more of these conversations within our circles and just learn to be more understanding, accepting and tolerant of each other. So thank you so much for coming, Mani. And thank our listeners for tuning in. (laughs) Well, I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.